Wednesday morning, long before the bars on Broadway start to come to life. But Michael Klintzman is busy getting things in order. My name is Michael Klintzman, and I am the owner of Bar PM, local bar and grill, and Atomic Pizza Kitchen. We're meeting at his newest venture, Atomic. It's next door to local. And compared to the other two, this bar is the baby. As we set up our microphones, he serves us ice water in wide mouth mason jars. He's literally cleaning the water rings from our table with a white rag, like any bartender would. Old habits die hard, I guess. But he's dressed nice for this interview. A crisp white button down and sharp sports coat. Uh, born in Kansas City, was only there for six months, but uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas. Came to Lubbock for college and never left. I dropped out with 18 hours left and, and bought my first business. Uh, my wife is a tech grad. She has a RIM degree, restaurant and hotel management degree. He doesn't plan to go back to finish his degree, but he'll tell you he's a Red Raider. Yeah, oh, through and through. I mean, you can't have three businesses uh, across from, from tech and not love this school. And it was the best part of my life. You know, I met my wife at tech and, uh, and it's just an awesome school. Hope my son goes here. <laughs> he better. He has to. Otherwise, I'll follow him and open a bar at whatever college town he's in. He will not get away from me. He's been at this a long time, working on this street of college bars since he was legal to step foot in one. He and his wife have used all that experience to build a life around those three businesses, and he's proud of them. Proud that what they started all those years ago panned out and grew. They got better as time went on. It took years of stashing away tips from every shift and an old water jug to see that dream take flight. From Texas Tech University, we bring you Fearless, a podcast featuring the untold stories of the school we love so dearly. In this episode, we pull back the layers of our local economy, what business owners did to stay afloat. While the in-person college experience was no more, how a small staff helped students navigate the unknown. And mental health resources became more essential than ever. This is episode four, Breaking Point. Sharon Custody. This has been a journey that defies explanation. It's May 7th, 2021, graduation day. But this ceremony is long overdue, a year to be exact. We found a few students checking in inside the Sports Performance Center south of Jones AT&T Stadium. There are lots of people in here, by the way, so it's a little bit loud. Exciting. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, I felt last year I was robbed. For the most part. And Francis Ramos is among hundreds of graduates preparing to walk down to the field. He got his degree a year ago. They all did. In fact, many had already started working full-time when they came back and walked. It's a makeup ceremony for the COVID class, the graduating class of 2020. It's also coming at a difficult time for me because... Wesley McGlory is here too. The pandemic, it was right before spring break and I was waiting to hear back from interviews from the career fair. It wasn't until after Memorial Day where I got a job offer and accepted it. So now I'm working full-time in Arlington, Texas. His parents are in the stands to see him walk the stage for the second time as a Red Raider. 
He got his master's degree in architecture. It's me personally, I went through a lot just to get to where I am today. I know they're glad to see me graduate with my master's again. Francis, on the other hand, is walking for the first time. He earned his bachelor's degree in engineering. He's originally from Houston, took a job in Pearland, just outside of Houston, during the pandemic. His family made the trip up, too. Today's important. Actually, while we're standing here talking, I can see on his Apple Watch that his mom is calling over and over. She's probably wondering where he is, like all moms do. Lexi Harlan's family didn't have a long drive at all. She had her own cheering section, in fact. She grew up in Lubbock, went to Southcrest High School. Yes, I have all 12 of my tickets booked, and I wish I could have had more. More? Because <laughs> everybody's here, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, There's something about the experience of walking across the stage, the act of physically stepping forward into a new chapter, through a new door. So, I mean, we get the, the paper, you know, but being able to be out here with my family and friends and just get to have, like, kind of the final moments with your friends that you didn't get to see last year, it's kind of like closure, you know. It means a lot. Um, You know, last year it was kind of here and there whether it was going to happen or not, and we were all very, very disappointed. And for them to come back and say, hey, like, we've got you, we're going to do this, like, it really, like, made all of our years to be able to say, like, we can come back. The fact that uh, even though it's been a long year, you can finally come back and see Tech again and finally walk across the stage, it's... It feels like time is actually moving forward a bit again. We're also here to celebrate what you didn't do. Through one of the most challenging years in our history, you didn't quit. You didn't give up. Faced with great uncertainty and anxiety, you did it. Early studies suggest that the stay-at-home orders elevated emotional stress in the home. Insomnia, depression, fear, anxiety, a lack of focus. These were all on the rise as we pushed through quarantine. Richard Lennox is the managing director of the Student Counseling Center on campus. His team of 16 full-time staff members met with more than 100 students regularly. But before COVID, very few of them were seen online. Um, And then, of course, March 2020 hit. Uh, and everybody was scrambling. Um, This scramble existed for counseling centers across the country. Richard knew his team had to be ready for what may come when the campus closed and students were sent home. But oddly enough, the next few months wouldn't be what he expected. And to be honest, it's not what I expected either. Our demand for services bottomed out. It really did. And that that happened everywhere um, that we were going from a very busy semester to being very slow for about two months there. And I think there were a few reasons for that. That surprises me. It surprised us too, yes. Um, and I was hearing that from other counseling center directors too. It's like, we, you know, with this big shift and all this stress, we would think that students would be clamoring for, for services. Um, Anxiety and depression. Those are the two main reasons that Richard says students come to the counseling center. When students come into the counseling center, we always do an assessment of what are the primary issues that are bringing you in. For several years now, anxiety has been number one in college students. And that's not just here at Texas Tech. That's that's across the country. Anxiety has been number one. Depression has been consistently number two. And the stress of the pandemic and COVID, what we saw is for a lot of students, the, the pandemic exacerbated those mental health issues. And it got worse. Remember Daniel? We met him last episode. We told you about his story as a student, the struggles that he faced academically, 
what happened to his grades during the pandemic. He had some challenges outside the classroom, too. And even though he didn't meet directly with Richard and his team at the Student Counseling Center, he'd been seeing his own counselor for several years. But weeks into the pandemic, he realized it wasn't enough. I've been seeing a psychologist for a couple of years, and then I got referred to a psychiatrist um, where I was diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety, which, I, I mean, I'm not new to that, but it was pretty severe. Um, there were some dark nights that I did not think I could get past, and not, not because of anything specifically that had happened. It was just, it felt like things were never going to get better. He felt trapped. He started taking more medication during this time, trying to feel like himself again. This is all really hard to watch for those around him. To not underplay it, it's heartbreaking. because you This is Lauren, also not her real name, but she's a tech student too. When you know and you talk to them and they're going through something and you know it's hitting them hard, you feel hopeless because you want to be able to do something and you want to be able to help them, but you don't have the ability to. How scary is that? It's terrifying. Your friends and your relationship, their well-being affects you. So, and when you see people that you are like part of your life going through extreme pain emotionally or even physically, it breaks you. It does. And then just a lot of uncertainty about the future that all of us were feeling at the time. You know, what's gonna ha- what is gonna happen with the pandemic eight weeks from now? Nobody had answers. Um, what is it going to mean for my graduation? What is it going to mean for my job possibilities? Am I going to be able to sustain myself and am I going to have to move back in with parents when that wasn't the plan? These were all valid questions Richard's team was getting. Starting in the summer, students began reaching out for help. Numbers went back to normal. And the top priority for Richard and his team was making sure that students knew there was help available. Students had a need that his staff could meet, even if it was online. But the pandemic was taking a lot out of them, too. Richard says that self-care has always been important to him. His team knows that. But the pandemic, it took it to a whole new level. How do you encourage them and help them manage their level of expectation that the students have on them with also still making sure that their mental health is provided for as well? Right. That is a theme that has been true for my management style for years is, is self-care of our staff is primarily important. And if we don't take care of ourselves as mental health providers, we're not going to be able to give the students what they need. Each staff member could meet with a maximum of eight students per day for an hour each. And I want you to think about that for a second. That's a lot of Zoom time. And, and the staff talk about that a lot. You know, when they are doing, um, you know, six, seven, eight, counseling sessions with students per day, they talked about the fatigue at the end of the day. It takes a different level of, level of energy to interact via Zoom. We all know this now. They had to rely on each other, and they pulled through. At the original air date of this podcast episode, in the fall of 2021, Richard and his staff saw their numbers increase, and they expect that to continue. That mental health issues have been everywhere in the media lately. Which is good. It's good that that kind of awareness is, is being raised, but it also increases demand for services, too. Sophia Miller was also adamant about helping students. After all, she was one. Mo- mainly worried about, you know, people's mental health and, like, isolation and um, 
suicide rates going up because... She's since graduated from Texas Tech, but when she was here, she was what's called a peer educator for RISE. It stands for Risk Intervention and Safety Education. Thinking about the people who are struggling with their mental health, that was really scary. But after a year of isolation, it can still be hard to come out of your shell. During the fall of 2020, when some students were back on campus, she and other peer educators were excited to see those students, however they could. Because when you are isolated, it's like, oh, somebody actually does care from the outside world, which is something that maybe they didn't see. They set up tables in the sub. They call it tabling. They pass out free stuff. Before COVID, she says most students would stop for a second or two. But now, they weren't really in a rush. They were stopping for conversation. Just COVID being hard and everybody realizing that it was hard, I think it was easier for people to be like, hey, you know, yeah, I am kind of having a hard time with this. Almost every student struggled in one way or another during the pandemic. But recent studies show that certain demographics may have been affected more than others, or differently, at least. Carol Sumner is the vice president of the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DDEI. She's also the chief diversity officer for the university. What I love is the ability to see a problem or a challenge and to find people here that are equally as committed to getting it solved. That's the best part of this work, and especially here at Tech. She is committed to community. She loves it and believes in it, and it's the driving force behind her hard work. So during the pandemic, she was closely watching a ripple effect that was extending into neighborhoods, not just here in Lubbock, but across the country. Well, it was all of the things simultaneously. I mean, you couldn't have asked to have a window of time with more dissonance for already marginalized communities, communities that are under-resourced. COVID provided its fair share of challenges. That we know. But the combination of financial and emotional stress from the pandemic, an emphasis on social justice issues, not to mention a changing presidential administration, and a storm of tension was brewing, especially in already marginalized communities. And Carol was working closely with the university president to make sure they were addressing it. I don't know how to process the loss of life, the loss of jobs, the loss of homes. There was a real effort to make sure that people knew what we were doing. The president was issuing statements. We were trying to make sure that we were clear about what we were doing, clear about statements around Asian hate, clear around statements uh, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, clear around what we were doing with COVID. With fear and uncertainty building, these conversations were hard. But communicating effectively is important to her. And it may just make all the difference. Because after all, these conversations should matter to every one of us. For low-income students, it was an impact. For black male students, it was a significant impact. For anybody who knew a a low-income student, it was an impact. For anybody who knew a person who was a person of color, and particularly black, was an impact. For anybody who knew anybody who was Asian. I mean, when you start thinking about the ripple and the intersections of people, you could not be a person that was not in some way, shape, or form impacted by all that was happening. Good morning, how's everyone? Good, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Of course, have a great day. Right. We're at the back to school fiesta now. It's the end of July and kids from kindergarten all the way up to high school are stopping by. Or their parents are anyway. Oh, my kids are gonna be so mad they decided not to come. <laughs> 
almost want to take a picture just to be like, look, you missed it. Raider Red's here too. And like usual, he's attracting a lot of attention. <laughs> How many are we picking up for? Two. Two? Okay. It's still early, before 9 a.m. So I don't blame those kiddos for sleeping in, even if they miss the photo op with Raider Red himself. Can I take a picture with you real quick? I really want them to know they missed out. <laughs> They'll come next time. Thank you. Carol's office puts on this event every year, but this time, it feels extra special. Um, so my name is Mary Harris. I'm the program manager for College Connect here at Texas Tech University. Um, I focus a lot on these kinds of events, the back-to-school fiesta. We do a lot of summer camps. Um, we're just really involved in a lot of outreach activities with the community. This event is for Lubbock youth. College Connect is a program within DDEI. It's all about investing in the community bringing together students of all ages. Um, we want them to understand and know that Texas Tech um, supports them, and we want to create a relationship with families um, and kids at an early age. Um, you know, Texas Tech is not just a, a university within Lubbock. It's a part of the community, and it's the heart of the community. So we really want to make that connection with families. Last year was the first time this event was conducted as a drive through and it was a success. So in July of 2021, College Connect kept that same drive-through format, and the money saved went into doing more for these kids. So we've learned some things. Um, you can lessen the cost by not having to have food and pay for tents, and you can get 500 more backpacks. So we'll be giving out 1,500 backpacks instead of 1,000. Um, everything wasn't negative. Some of it was, how can we be more effective in, in meeting the need of more people? So much. Of course. Been here six. Oh no, of course. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. I just think it's amazing to know that you're making a difference. I mean, I love the gratitude that people show, but it's not only that. It's just being able to give back and know that you're actually doing something that's really going to make a difference in the life of someone. How are y'all? Good. Here we go. Y'all have a good day. DDEI is also focused on meeting the needs of tech students, realizing that for so many Red Raiders, the fall of 2021 will be full of first. By that, I mean the first time attending an in-person class. They've not eaten in the dining halls. They've not gone to a football game, or they didn't get to go to a basketball game, or they, you know, they haven't been able to walk campus or be here for Carol of Lights. I mean, it's just- Carol says that she and her team learned a lot from COVID. But more than anything, it solidified the value of connecting with and taking care of your community, your whole community. Those who think differently than you, maybe feel differently, or look or speak or act. We all have one thing in common, and it's this place. And for tech, that can be the beacon on the hill, how do we let those know who don't see the light? We're here for you too. Whether you see it or not, we are here. Sometimes it's important that we just keep shining even though some days it's a little difficult to hold that torch up. We're back at Atomic now, where Michael is taking a trip down memory lane that looks a lot like Broadway on a Friday night. When I was 21, I started working on Broadway 
at a bar called Rocky LaRue's. Uh, my wife started the same day. We met on our first shift together and went on a date the following week and been together ever since. But it was always a dream of ours to own our own place. So we would work five nights a week and it sounds really cheesy, but we had one of those five gallon jugs of water and we would take $50 each shift and put it in that jug. And so that'd be $100, you know, five times a week. And we had enough for a down payment on a small business loan. They used that money to purchase bar PM. P stands for Paige, his wife's name, M for Michael. I bet you didn't know that. Neither did I. They owned bar PM for 15 years before they paid it off, then moved on to purchase local. After we opened local, we opened uh, Atomic. So my goal is every time I pay off my small business loan, I start looking for another one. Before the pandemic, Michael and his wife were debt-free with local and bar PM. They're not anymore. Michael admits he's not normally one to ask for help, but he needed it now. At the time of the shutdown, he had 89 employees. A lot of them have families or are putting themselves through school. He worried for them and about the unknown. When you have a loan and you have new staff, uh, it, it, was, it was scary and it was sad. The loans he was able to secure kept his business afloat. And without the help that was out there, I wouldn't be here today for sure. I've never asked for help before, but it, it, it saved my employees. It saved my businesses, and uh, we're here today because of it. We're very, very fortunate. Bar PM and local each generate about $1.5 million a year. In 2020, they were down between $800,000 and $900,000 per bar. These places are what Michael knows best, and being away felt like not having purpose. That was, I'm a busybody, and I'd be just pacing around at home during the shutdown. He was ready for all this to end, or at least to have something to look forward to. Um, and my wife would be like, just go to work. Just go to work. Fix a chair, fix something, just so I would come in here day after day and find something to do, but I didn't even want to spend money on a screw, you know, but I would, uh, it was hard to just walk around three empty businesses day after day after day after day and, and, and lock the door up when you leave and it just sit like that. Even when certain restaurants were opening up, his three remained closed. They had to reclassify as a restaurant, get new licenses and permits, because they only sold 35% of food instead of the 49 required to reopen. You think you own your own business, uh, but when you own a license, you really don't own your own business because they dictate when you can open and what you can do. Make sure I'm always putting money away in case this ever uh, happens again. Yeah, get you, you know. a water jug. That's right, that's what I need. Yeah. I would have needed about a thousand water jugs for this last year. <laughs> but. And when they finally did open, they did it right. Michael says that the TABC and the fire marshal stopped by 43 times in three months, and none of his businesses were ticketed or shut down. But the pandemic itself was daunting. He didn't know what to do with himself, and he didn't know what to do for his people, the employees that he had started seeing as family. Unfortunately, I, I did have an employee uh, that had worked for me for 10 years and um, the first shutdown was rough for him and then after the second shutdown he uh, took his own life. Michael was devastated. They all were. It's what Richard was talking about earlier, 
how the pandemic exacerbated many existing issues. People don't realize, you know, when you take somebody's livelihood away, the implications that may have. But, you know, when it was bad, it was bad. And, and Mayor Dan Pope knew what Michael and so many others were going through, both on a personal level and as a local business owner. Dan agrees with Michael that local businesses are the lifeblood of this community. And during the pandemic, he wanted to keep people together. He found himself addressing the city of Lubbock almost on a daily basis. Members of his team regularly appearing on a virtual press conference with the local media, providing COVID updates for the city. And finally, let's be hopeful. There are better days in front of us. Take care of our neighbors. Take care of yourself. Let's take care of our community. I generally always closed them by reminding people to, to be hopeful. Um, because I, I, you know, it was a, there were some really um, scary moments. Remaining optimistic and hopeful was important, even when it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. He was seeing friends and family members struggling to get past the virus, or the suffering that came when they didn't. My youngest brother's just three years younger than me, three and a half years younger, and he had, a, he had 12 days in, in late June where his t- fever was over 103. And, and he's healthy, you know, he's, and sort of hit me real hard. And then um, shortly after that, I lost my first friend to this, um, Judge Ruben Reyes, uh, my age, dear, dear friend, and, and uh, Tom West, who, you know, Tom ran 60 miles a week forever and ever, as long as I've known him. It'll be, we'll always carry, this is something we'll carry around with us forever, and they'll be, we'll be stronger for it. I learned something in producing this podcast. When I ask people to talk about their memories of COVID, they tend to gravitate to the things that gave them hope and encouragement. They'd go to the stories of how they witnessed people come together, or why it was important to look out for their neighbor. They talked about how their feelings of fear and uncertainty were just a stage for innovation and courage. We identified the need in one another, and in a lot of ways, it reflected our own. I learned something about the human spirit and how oftentimes it's the hardest obstacles that precede the greatest rewards. In ways, things in our world may not return completely to normal. But that's okay, isn't it? If we've learned anything during this journey, it's that our ability to adapt to change is what determines our success. It's those stories we hear next time on Fearless. Fearless is produced by the Texas Tech Office of Communications and Marketing, hosted by me, Taylor Peters, with special help from Allison Hearth. Fearless is a Texas Tech production. From here, it's possible. Hey, it's Taylor again. Thanks so much for listening to Fearless. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.